0: repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to the Balance Black Girl podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Hello and happy new year. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Balanced Black Girl Podcast. If you're listening to this episode, the week it comes out, this is our first episode coming back after the holidays, and I hope that you had a wonderful first week in 2020. For me, I'm going to kind of keep things short for this week's intro because I would love to kind of jump into the interview, but first, I had a couple of announcements that I wanted to share with you. The first is that if you have not yet joined our Balanced Black Girl Journaling Challenge, make sure you do so. So if you go to balancedblackgirl.com challenge, you can jump in and join the journaling challenge. It technically started yesterday, January 6th, but that's okay. You can still opt in and receive the rest of the prompts essentially you just sign up and each day you will receive a short prompt that will just help you feel aligned and have a healthy mindset as we embark on this new year. So again, that is balanceblackgirl.com slash challenge opt in there and you can get your journal prompts each day. We've had several guests on the show talk about the power of journaling as an incredible self-care tool and that is a sentiment that I echo greatly as well. For me, self-care or my self-care practice really really is anchored in journaling and my ability to express myself and express my feelings to manifest for the future. I really really do a lot of that through writing and through journaling. And I think what I especially appreciate about journaling as a self-care practice is that it's pretty darn accessible. It's not something that costs money. It's not something that necessarily takes a lot of time. If you have anywhere that you can just record your thoughts, whether that is a notebook, a piece of paper, a Google Doc, your notes app, wherever you can just get your thoughts out of your head and in writing, you can journal and you can embark on that practice. So I'd love to have you join me for the 21-day journaling challenge. Again, that is at balanceblackgirl.com slash challenge. Also, with it being a new month and a new year, I wanted to chat with you about Balance Black Girl Book Club. So our first year of Book Club was so exciting. I mean, it started with <laughs> some of the members in Seattle having a meeting with Michelle Obama after reading Becoming, which was actually maybe the best book club meeting ever. And this year for Book Club, I'm really inspired to take it in a different direction. So last year, we read a book every other month just by a black woman author. We read books from all different genres some fiction, some nonfiction, some memoirs, some career books. And this year, I would really like to be a bit more intentional about the books that we read. So our theme for this year is really going to be around personal development, mindset, and spirituality, books written by Black women focused on those topics. So I would love to have you join me in reading the first Balanced Black Girl Book Club pick for 2020, which is going to be Vibrate Higher Daily by Layla Delia. And I'm a huge fan of Layla's work. And I just got my copy of the book a few days ago, have started diving in and would just love to share this piece of work with our community. So two major things, book club, reading Vibrate Higher Daily, uh, joining us in the Facebook group if you have not yet already, because that is where discussions will take place, and joining the journaling challenge, spending just a few minutes each day really getting your thoughts, hopes, wishes, dreams on paper. So thank you so much for all of your support of the show in 2019. It was just such an incredible year for this community, and I cannot wait to continue and to continue growing and evolving with you into 2020. So with that said, let's jump into our first interview of the year. Today's guest is Jennifer Sterling. Jennifer is a registered dance movement psychotherapist and holistic nutritionist. She's also the creator of Bodyful Healing, a wellness platform that offers body based holistic support to Black women living with depression. And she's also the author of the new book, Dear Strong Black Woman Letters of Nourishment and Reflection from One Strong Black Woman to Another. So Jennifer and I actually met back in 2019 at the Wellness Con event in Los Angeles. I'd actually been following her work for quite some time, but just in meeting her in person, I just felt this incredible warmth and energy from her. We stayed in touch ever since, and I'm so honored to have her on the show today. We had also actually originally recorded this interview uh, back over the summer, not long after we met, and had a lot of sound issues and uh, ended up having to re record it quite a bit later. So it took us a little bit of time to kind of get our conversation out to you. But I actually do believe that all things happen for a reason. We were still able to get an incredible interview recorded when we re recorded. And I think that this message is now coming to all of you. Right when you need to hear it. So, without further ado, let's jump into the episode. And I hope you enjoy learning from Jennifer as much as I did. Jennifer, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you here and to chat with you again. For our listeners, may not realize this, but this is actually our second take at recording this interview. We just had a little warm up previously. Now we're doing the real interview. For those who are just meeting you, can you tell us a bit more about your background and what you do?
1: Absolutely. It's really good to be back having this conversation. I am Jennifer Sterling. I am a holistic nutritionist and a registered dance movement psychotherapist, and I spend most of my time supporting Black women who are living with depression, giving them body-based tools and resources to help them feel more vital have a sense of what it means to be well, and also just to have a sense of what it feels like to be whole. So that is the bulk of my work at this point.
0: Mm, That's beautiful. So I would love to dive into that a little bit more talking about depression, specifically, and how black women are impacted by depression. So I was reading your blog and saw on an older post that one in five women develop depression during their lifetime and that the rate among black women is 50% higher than our white counterparts. So I would love to talk about why you think that is, if there are social contributing factors that are causing us to be more susceptible to experiencing depression than our counterparts and how it impacts us.
1: Absolutely. There are definitely social factors and One of the major ones is this idea that we have to be strong Black women. And the other one is just oppression in and of itself. So there's tons of research that's coming out now about the effects of oppression on people in general. There have been a few Black women who have done studies about how oppression affects black women specifically, and specifically as it relates to the strong black woman ideal. And so when we talk about the strong black woman, we're talking about the black woman who feels like she has to take care of everyone before herself, that she's not allowed to express her emotions because everybody's kind of looking to her to hold them up and be strong. And within that, not being able to have an authentic expression of emotion and having to kind of put up this front all the time of being strong actually creates the perfect storm, so to speak, or the perfect recipe
0: for depression. My goodness. Yeah. I'm very interested to hear about the research that links oppression and these situations. I mean, interested to hear is not the right word, but I'm interested that these things are happening or that research in this area is happening and coming out because I don't think it is surprising in any way, but I actually think it's a little bit, I wouldn't say affirming is the right word. It's not really telling us anything that we don't know, but it's finally Mm -hmm. kind of being written out in terms that are getting people's attention.
1: Absolutely. It's something that I do feel like for a lot of us is really validating. Yeah. Because I think that, you know, we've been told that there's we're crazy for seeing what we're seeing or for experiencing what we're experiencing. So to really have science, which, you know, is problematic in in many ways, mm-hmm. but to have that kind of validation really I think makes it all much more real, especially for those of us who are working in healthcare professions and working in medicine, because a lot of things in those spaces aren't taken seriously until somebody says, hey, wait, here's a study. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even though you can have thousands of people telling you, you know, this is what I'm experiencing.
1: Right. And so to really see the, the science that says, hey, living in a marginalized oppressed body actually contributes to depression contributes to diabetes contributes to heart disease because oppression in and of itself could very is very much like experiencing chronic stress it's yeah. a stressor that we can't get away from and so it affects our bodies in much the same way as being under stress all the time and so you know that comes with some of the health concerns that I just mentioned
0: absolutely and I'm glad that you brought up kind of the strong Black woman phenomenon or stereotype that I think a lot of us can really relate to. So, if we wanted to kind of either look out for ourselves, look out for one another, what are the signs to look for in ourselves and in our sisters and women in our communities that they may be experiencing that phenomenon, and how can we support them?
1: It's a tricky question. You know, I mean, Black women. We all have our own experiences, but the kind of the general gist of the strong black woman is someone who puts everyone ahead of herself. She is very independent. Everybody looks to her for advice, for care, for support. She's the person that kind of lifts everybody up and the one that everybody forgets about or assumes that like, oh, she has everything together. She doesn't need anything. The person who doesn't ever present as sad or uncomfortable or anything other than you know strong and in a way that like I got this I can handle this so I would say I mean obviously check on all of your friends but that person that everybody leans on for support really check on that person in a way that is you know genuinely coming from a place of concern you know is there anything I can do for you you've done all of this for me, or you've helped all of these other people. But you know, can I fill you up a little bit?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I know something that I've experienced, and I'd be curious to hear if this is your experience with that, is that when people ask, how can I help? Not really knowing what to say, (laughs) maybe knowing I'm Mm -hmm. in a situation where I need help, and I need support, but I don't even know what that could look like. And people offer and I'm like, well, yes, but I can't really tell you what. (laughs) Um, Have you experienced that? And what advice do you have for someone who may be in that same situation?
1: I've definitely experienced that. And what it brings up for me is, and this may be completely unrelated, but when I had my son, and people were like, Well, what do you need? And I was like, I have no clue. (laughs) Um, And so then I think it becomes much more helpful to say, like, Hey, I know you really like this restaurant. I brought you some takeout. Yep. Or I'm having some food delivered. Is that okay? Or, you know, those kinds of like really more practical things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I hired a cleaning lady to come in just for the day to like help you get things together. And it doesn't even have to be really that expensive. But things that are really kind of tangible and practical, I think go a really long way when it comes to supporting someone can I watch your kids for a little while so you can take a nap or take a shower or go to the grocery store by yourself? Um, I think those kind of things are more supportive than we think because we're living in a a time where everybody's so independent. We've been fed this narrative that we're supposed to be able to do everything on our own but really and truly it does take a village to, take care of ourselves. Yeah. And we've gotten so far away from that. So coming to a place where you can be someone's village or, you know, support them in in that kind of way, I think is really
0: helpful. Definitely. And I think those are some really great examples and ideas of ways you can offer support to someone that might be just a bit more helpful than saying, hey, let me know if you need anything or let me know what you need. Because if someone is really having a hard time or in a challenging place, even trying to articulate what they need or what they need help with could be also really, really hard. So those are some really great suggestions.
1: Yeah, and the strong Black woman, the true kind of strong Black woman is not necessarily going to admit that she needs help. Yeah. So sometimes it's best to just say, here, I got you something.
0: Definitely. Well, I would love to talk about that a little bit more about how hard it can be to admit that we need help and why that is and how we can feel more safe and more secure in asking for help.
1: Yeah, I think asking for help often feels like we don't have our shit together. It feels like a weakness. And so for a lot of us, it's not something that we do. And if we have a, a history of being shamed for asking for help, which some of us, you know, may have that experience of asking for help and not getting it and instead having someone make you feel bad for needing assistance, that makes it really difficult to ask for help later on. But I think we just need to come to a place where we can reframe it. And it's kind of twofold because we can go through the more cognitive process of reframing in our minds Asking for help doesn't make me weak. But then if you don't have any examples to really show you that when you ask for help, someone's not putting you down for needing help or shaming you for needing help and you're actually being supported, then it's kind of a deterrent. So you're not going to want to ask for help. So we need to not only reframe what asking for help means, but also ask for help from the right people, the people who are more willing, more able, who have the capacity to actually help us, as opposed to people who are already kind of burnout and tired and have habitually shown us that they can't support us.
0: That's such a good point, asking for help for the right people. I would also love to Talk a bit more about how your experiences in your mental health journey have inspired your work in knowing you and in following you. I really do admire how transparent you are with yeah. your experiences with mental health. How has that impacted and inspired your work?
1: I think my experiences are my work. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> I think that's probably true for a lot of us in in wellness. I was diagnosed with depression when I was 15 and at that time it kind of manifested in, you know, irritability, what you know, everybody thought was like just kind of like teenage attitude and I would get really awful headaches and migraines and didn't want to go to school. It kind of happened at the beginning of every school year but when I was 15 started to get a little bit worse and I lived with that and still live with it for you know now in my in my late 30s and it's something that going through my own process of learning how to manage it you know quote-unquote recovering has really inspired me to try and help other women especially black women and Part of that is also knowing that black women often go undiagnosed for mental health concerns. Yeah. And that I was, you know, fortunate at fifteen to have somebody say, like, I think this is depression. Whereas a lot of black women, because we are strong and because we are functional, which is one of the kind of measures of depression, because we get up and we do what we need to do, it often we don't get diagnosed with Things like depression. So having that understanding and knowing how fortunate I was to have somebody say that so early and to be able to find a therapist that looked like me, you know, and and go through that process so that now in my late 30s, I can say, you know, I have a system, I feel like this is manageable 98% of the time. So, yeah, that's been my experience.
0: Yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you sharing that. And it actually reminds me of a quote that I saw recently that said something along the lines of, you know, I wonder how many black girls get told they have an attitude problem when really they're experiencing anxiety or depression. I would imagine probably quite a few, probably quite a few that do either go undiagnosed or just don't, you know, realize that that's going on or or have the resources to get that support. And so I think it's really great that you had that and that you now provide that to others.
1: Yeah. And just kind of going off of what you said, like depression can manifest as irritability. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the symptoms that kind of gets forgotten sometimes because people think, you know, oh, it's just like being really sad. But especially in your kind of teenage years, it can manifest as irritability and even later on. Yeah. So I think it's, that's a really important point to note too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Kind of shifting a little bit from just depression itself to kind of tools that we can use to manage, you're also a registered dance and movement psychotherapist, which is incredible. For people who are not <laughs> familiar with that, I'm familiar now because we have talked before, but for those listening who are not familiar with dance and movement psychotherapy, what does that mean?
1: So dance movement psychotherapy is like talk therapy, except there is an invitation to bring your body into the space. So, a lot of people, when they think of psychotherapy, therapy, they think of going into a therapist's office, sitting in a chair, and talking about their problems for 45 minutes to an hour. And in dance movement psychotherapy, you can do that. And we do, you know, process things with words if you are capable of communicating in that way. But there's also many reminders and many invitations to enter into the body, to think about or to feel into emotions and sensations and to notice changes in breath and changes in heartbeat, because all of those things impact our experience out in the world, but they also impact the thoughts that we have. So sometimes shifting or understanding and knowing what we're feeling in our body can actually shift our thoughts and behaviors. So dance movement psychotherapy, really, the way that I explain it, in addition to everything I just said, is that it is very... It takes the whole person into consideration. So we're looking at everything from body language to breath to sensation, you know, and how that affects the way that you are in the world.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a really incredible practice that anyone could benefit from not just those who are maybe living with depression, because I think that having a disconnect from our bodies is so common. I think most people probably are walking around with some sort of disconnect and do not have a very strong mind body connection. And it sounds like a really incredible way to build that connection.
1: Absolutely. And it's something that I do think anybody can benefit from the reason that I find it to be really beneficial for black women and women of color is because when we when we're in marginalized bodies or we're experiencing oppression the natural the body's kind of natural inclination is to disconnect. We become disembodied and so to create a space where we feel safe. So our nervous system comes to a place of safety and we have greater capacity and resilience. We have to enter back into the body and reconnect with ourselves for that to happen. So it's really, I think, essential for those of us who live in black bodies and bodies of color to really come back to ourselves in that way.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. That is like really beautiful. If someone were interested in taking up dance movement psychotherapy, how do you recommend they get started? It's a tricky one, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I, I say that only because there aren't a lot of dance movement psychotherapists of color. Yeah, The field itself has been around as a profession since the 1960s, but it is... Very, you know, just like all therapy it's very white, but I do the first step that I would recommend for anybody who is looking for a dance therapist in their area is to look on the American Dance Therapy Association website. They have a directory of dance movement psychotherapists in, you know, all over the country. There are even dance movement psychotherapists internationally. So, they're if they're registered with the American Dance Therapy Association, they would be listed in that directory.
0: Perfect. And I'll make sure I have that linked in the show notes so that that is easy for folks to find. What drew you to dance movement psychotherapy? Did you have a dance background? What was it about this type of therapy that really resonated with you?
1: I did have a dance background. Actually, I danced in college. And for me, there was something that just kind of clicked for me when I was moving, I didn't have to, I could express myself without really having to figure out what the, the words were to explain what was going on. And that was really appealing to me because I found that sometimes I just didn't have the words. I just had a feeling. I could kind of improv and just let whatever that was be what it was and move with it or i could you know do the opposite of what that thing was and and see if i could shift it and that was really powerful work for me and then when i realized that there was this combination of dance and movement and psychotherapy it just felt like the perfect combination and through that training and and a few other certifications and things that i have i've really been able to find a way to Manage my own depression on a body level to manage the fatigue and some of the digestive things that happen at times, and just the feeling of like heaviness that can sometimes happen for myself, and also to help my clients and patients with it. It's been a really useful tool in both ways, but that said, you don't have to be a dancer or have a dance background to work with a dance movement psychotherapist because it's not necessarily big choreographed movements, it's mostly yeah. kind of organic movements that come from your body or really kind of what are known as micro movements, those kind of sensational components of movement and expression.
0: I really loved what you said about at times not having the words, but having a feeling and, and being able to express yourself that way, because I think that that is something that is probably very relatable for a lot of people, regardless of you know whether or not they have a dance background or maybe feel as comfortable with movement. I think movement is something that most of us can still achieve in one way or another that may be sometimes easier than verbal expression if we don't have the words in that moment.
1: Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to name things, especially the initial feeling. Mm -hmm. So to just be able to kind of shift and say, okay, I wonder what would happen if I just Change my position in the chair. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and not feeling the pressure to have to go into our heads and think about and dissect everything. We put so much emphasis on thought and words that sometimes the body gets lost in that, but to just kind of be able to feel it and say, okay, well, this is information and. I can either be with it or maybe I can try and shift and see what happens. I think it gives you a little bit of power, even if you don't quite have a full understanding of what that is at the moment.
0: That's beautiful. So I would also love to talk to you about nutrition because obviously you're also very knowledgeable and work in that space as well. And I think we don't often hear conversations about the intersection of nutrition and mental health. I think a lot of conversations about nutrition very much involve the physical, either eating certain foods to have our bodies look a certain way or to have our bodies physically feel a certain way. But I would love to learn a bit more about how nutrition and mental health intersect. For sure. Actually,
1: I entered into this space first through nutrition yeah, um, and then realized that I needed a little bit more. But the connection there is that when we are living with depression, it can cause an imbalance in our gut flora. But also, if we have an imbalance in our gut flora, it can cause symptoms of depression and anxiety. So... Our digestive system, or our gut, which you'll hear a lot, that word on the internet, produces a lot of mood-regulating hormones, so dopamine, serotonin, GABA, all of the things that we hear, like if you're living with depression, those things, you know, are imbalanced in the brain, which may or may not be true. The science is still kind of trying to come to an affirmative in that space. That is what we've known to be you know, true for many years. But there's also within that an, an imbalance in the gut of those particular hormones. So if we look specifically at serotonin, there's up to 95% of the serotonin that you produce in your body is contained in specialized cells in your gut, in your digestive system. And that's because they're not just there for, they're not just in your body for mood regulation, they also play a really big role in digestion in and of itself. So serotonin is necessary for peristalsis, or that kind of wave-like action that moves our food through the digestive system. But it also, serotonin is found in blood platelets that move throughout your central nervous system, so your brain and your spinal cord. And so in that way, it helps to support regulation. So it's not something that is looked at very frequently, but Mm -hmm. when we're looking at the whole person in a therapeutic environment, I think it's really important to not only take into consideration What's going on with thought patterns and behaviors, but also what's going on inside your body? How is your digestion? Is there some sort of imbalance? And so I often will recommend that my patients do a stool test where we can look at gut flora and, you know, see if there are different imbalances that are happening there. I typically will also recommend probiotic for the same reason so that we can balance the gut flora, which in turn helps to balance and bring more of the increase the production of some of
0: those neurochemicals that can help boost mood wow I had no idea I mean I know that our bodies are very interconnected but just learning all of these different ways that our bodies are so connected is just mind-blowing to me absolutely mind-blowing So for people who want to look at how their nutrition is impacting their mental health, do you find that there are often some correlations between maybe having a certain deficiency may impact how you feel or anything like that that folks could look at?
1: So if we're talking specifically about like gut health, I would recommend... If it's accessible to you to maybe try and find a functional medicine practitioner mm-hmm. or a therapist who is also trained in, you know, nutrition who can really take a look at or, you know, order the proper test to see if there are any gut imbalances. Yeah. And that's kind of like for me, like a one of the first steps, but it's not a first step for everybody. And really, it's definitely not a cure-all for a lot of people, but it, it helps to really balance that out. And then you can kind of figure out which came first. Was it the digestive issues that are creating the symptoms of depression and anxiety, or is it the depression and anxiety that are creating the gut issues?
0: Yeah. If folks were looking for functional medicine doctor, do you know if there's any resources or maybe like online listings or directories where folks could find one in their area?
1: There is IFM, which the Institute of Functional Medicine, mm-hmm. I believe they have a directory. I also recommend Dr. Tiffany Lester. I know she's in the Bay Area now. She's also a really great resource for Black women who are looking for more holistic functional medicine.
0: Awesome. Awesome make sure I'll provide those resources. And I'm familiar with Dr. Lester's work. I've been following her for a bit now and definitely admire her. So she's a great resource. She is, yeah. I would also love to talk to you about your book. You just wrote a book, Dear Strong Black Woman. I would love to talk about, one, your process in writing the book and what inspired it for you.
1: <laughs> this is always like so interesting for me, <laughs> because it, it still feels very new. My process in writing the book, I guess I'll, I'll start there. Yeah. It, the book is actually something that I feel like started a really long time ago. Mm. When I was young, I used to write letters to my mom, and she never saw them. My mom also struggles with depression and you know some other concerns. But I remember being like seven years old and sitting in my room writing letters to her. And I pulled some of those out when I was writing the book itself as just kind of like reminders and letters like, dear mom, I hope one day you can rest and be happy. Mm -hmm. You know, like those like really simple, what seems really simple to me now as an adult, but as a child, like realizing she's doing a lot of stuff, and she's really not happy. And so as I kind of went through my academic journey, a lot of my studies focused on the strong Black woman stereotype or the strong Black woman ideal, because that's so much of what I saw in her and also something that I feel I inherited from her, this kind of learned behavior. This is what a Black woman is supposed to be, and this is how a Black woman is supposed to behave. And so my research was very heavily focused in that area, but I knew that not a lot of people would really want to sit down and read my 50-page master's thesis on The (laughs) Strong Black Woman. So (laughs) I turned it into a series of letters, basically, and kind of taking some of the historical context of, you know, where the Strong Black Woman stereotype came from, and all of the the traits of the strong Black woman and writing letters that affirm that like, yes, this is a thing. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing. It has its benefits and it has its burdens. And also offering some encouragement and points of reflection and what I call little nuggets of nourishment within those letters so that my hope is that Black women feel like their experience is validated and also that they, after reading it, have some space to maybe lay down some of the burdens that come with being the quote unquote strong black woman and they can in some way express themselves as a, you know, whole and complex being, which sometimes we don't get the privilege of or have the
0: privilege of in our
1: everyday interactions in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Getting to create that that space for ourselves to feel whole. Yeah. Such a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. So where can folks find the book?
1: The book is available at all major booksellers, mostly online. I think yeah. there's a few local bookstores that have it, Barnes & Noble, online, Amazon, all the major places. <laughs> Perfect. Okay.
0: Good to know. Make sure we'll link that in the show notes so that folks can get a hold of it. So Jennifer, we touched on this a little bit earlier when you were kind of walking us through your own personal mental health journey, but I would love to talk a bit more about kind of some of the practices that you currently use to heal, to feel whole, to feel your best self. What are some of the things that you like to do to take care of you?
1: Yeah, so I have a list of four or five things that I call my like daily commitments to myself. Within that is movement. I try and move my body every day. And sometimes that looks like going for a walk. Other times that looks like, you know, dancing around with a vacuum in my living room. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's whatever feels most nourishing on any given day um, as far as movement goes and really focusing on movement for the sake of nourishment as opposed to moving for weight loss or any sort of like aesthetic desire. Also is really trying to nourish myself with food in a way that feels good. and that varies based on you know hunger levels and mood and all of that, but to really focus on nourishing myself with things that make me feel good. And so that's kind of that's been a cornerstone for a while and I've definitely noticed that the more that I do that, the more that I my mood kind of stabilizes um, or stays very stable. Another thing that I try to do on a daily basis is write. And that I usually do after moving my body. The movement I find helps to kind of process things enough so that then I can maybe find some of the words that I need to actually express what's going on. Mm. So those are a few of the things. And lately, I've been really trying to find ways to invite play into my everyday, because it's something that I realized, you know, having a kid, I'm not very good at playing. (laughs) (laughs) I was one of those kids that like, I just feel like I've been a grown up for forever. (laughs) And so now, you know, having a son, it's something that I'm very conscious of, and something that I've been trying to figure out, you know, how do I invite this into my life on a daily basis, just you know so that i can experience what that's like and i i know from a psychological standpoint it's really good for you know increasing resilience and all of that so it's been that's been a really interesting experiment so those are kind of my my cornerstones at the moment
0: amazing well a couple of things that i really loved one i mean i think incorporating elements of play is something that none of us, myself included, probably do enough of, but is just really beautiful and really, really important. So I love that that's one of your practices, even if it is a more recent one. But I also really loved how Your movement and writing practices kind of work with one another, and how you described kind of moving your body as kind of getting the thoughts and feelings flowing that you can then articulate through writing. I thought was really, really beautiful. Kind of how your practices layer and build upon one another in that way. It was lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, I mean, you have your platform, Bodyful Healing. I would love to learn from you what being bodyful means and entails how can we facilitate bodyful healing in ourselves
1: yeah so bodyful healing is was inspired by a fellow dance movement psychotherapist her name is Christine Caldwell and she wrote a book actually called Bodyfulness. And I kind of took that idea and brought it into my work and really to be bodyful to me and and I believe a lot of her work centers around this too is to know, feel and understand that you have a body even if that body isn't the shape or size or doesn't look the way that you feel like it should look or that you feel like you want it to look. And it's really coming back to a place where we put a little more emphasis on the body than we have in the past, and really riffing off of the idea of mindfulness. So mindfulness tends to put a lot of emphasis on quieting the mind. But within with an understanding of what happens in the body, I know that in order to quiet the mind, you also have to shift what's happening in the body. So bringing the body into that practice making the body more of a priority I guess to put it simply
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that that's really really beautiful though and I'll also link to those resources as well around the body fullness book also sounds fantastic but I love that that definition so Jennifer what does being a balanced black girl mean to you I love
1: this question, and I'm pretty sure (laughs) I had a really smart answer the first time we did this. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) At the moment, um, being a balanced Black girl means feeling vital. And to me, vitality is something that I discovered after being diagnosed with depression, and that everybody kept saying, you're you need you need to find a way to be happy." And I could not fathom what happiness was, yeah, and the word that my therapist at the time threw out was, "Well, what about vitality? Can we compromise?" And so that's been my word now. I've been working with that therapist now for about eighteen years, and wow. so that's the word that I always come back to because it's so easy to it's easy for me to understand in a way that I can't always understand happiness and so feeling vital is feeling I'm not burdened down feeling like I have a sense of what it means to be alive and I have a sense of what it means to feel emotions and feel sensations, which, you know, some of those things are sometimes a little numb when you're in the midst of a depressive episode. And so being balanced, for me is being in a place where I feel vital and well, and have some sense of wholeness and what that
0: that means. I have chills. I think that that was like a very beautiful and smart answer this time (laughs) around as well. Like vitality and the idea of being and feeling vital. I think there's just so much power in that and not in a heavy way, but just in a, it just, it feels vibrant. It feels full of life and Mm -hmm. like you can just exist and be. And I just am in love with that answer. So thank you so much. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. So how can our listeners keep in touch with you? Yeah,
1: I am on all the social media places (laughs) (laughs) at Bodyful Healing and the website is bodyfulhealing.com. So any one of those places they can find me and keep up with, you know, what we're doing.
0: Perfect. And you also have a podcast as well. Right, that folks should tune in and listen to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yes. Um, the podcast is called The Bodyful Black Girl. Love it. And we talk all things body, so yeah. body movement and mental health, specifically as it relates to black women.
0: Ugh. Incredible. So I will make sure we have your podcast, socials, and website linked in the show notes so that everyone can tune in. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.